From the PSIA AASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair and joining us this evening, Ann Shorling of the national team. And thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I mean, inner ski coming up, uh, gosh, you're leaving in what, a week? Less than a week, leaving on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And how are you feeling about it? Um, I'm excited about it. It'll be my first time being there, and um, I've heard so many interesting, wonderful things about the event. I'm excited to be there, and I'll be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about presenting on an international stage, but it'll be a great opportunity to stretch myself, and yeah, looking forward to it. I don't want to get uh, ahead of ourselves, but what are you going to be presenting? <laughs> um, I am, so we're, the Alpine team is divided into three different focus groups, and then, um, so, and it's based on the learning connection model, and so there's a group doing the technical piece of the learning connection model, a group doing the teaching, and a group doing people skills, um, and both the teaching and the people skills have some uh, multidisciplinary components and members to them, but um, I'm part of the people skills group. So on snow, I'll be presenting those clinics and then we have an indoor presentation and there are a few of us who will be doing a, a group presentation for that. What's been your preparation like? I mean, how much time have you been spending on this? Um, a lot. It has been a lot. I've Eric Rolls is also in the people skills group and he and I talk on the phone probably once or twice a week for the past month. Um, and then uh, Jonathan Ballou, Dave Lyon, and um, Brian Smith are also really closely involved in the, the four or five of us get on the phone probably once every other week. Wow. Well, I'm sure looking forward to seeing this and can't wait to uh, find out all about it. And in the meantime, you wrote a great article for 32 Degrees called The Fifth Fundamental. And let's kind of start out by introducing that. with What are the fundamentals of skiing? Um, well, the fundamentals, the alpine skiing fundamentals, uh, have been, we've been using them for probably somewhere close to five years, um, nationwide. And, um, they just describe effective techniques for, um, manipulating the ski. And, um, do you want me to go through all five of them? Sure. And then I'd really like to focus on the fifth. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Cause that's <laughs> what I wrote about. Um, so the first one is to control the relationship of the center of mass to the base of support to direct pressure along the length of the ski, commonly referred to as four-ass balance. Um, the second is to control pressure from ski to ski and direct pressure toward the outside skis, um, generally referred to as foot-to-foot pressure. The third one is control edge angles through a combination of inclination and angulation, often referred to as the edging fundamentals. Um, and the fourth one is control the ski's rotation with leg rotation separate from the upper body, um, sometimes called the rotation fundamental. And those are those names I give them are just uh, shorthand, and I'm sure people have different ways of referring to them. And the fifth fundamental is um, to regulate the magnitude of pressure created through ski-snow interaction, no. which I refer to as touch. What was it about touch and the fifth fundamental that really grabbed you and made you want to write this article about it? You know, the thing that I have found most interesting getting to travel across the country and coach in different places is that um, in every division, we have different biases and preferences and movements that we value and um, prioritize. 
when we're looking at skiing and when we're looking at good skiing. And what tends to happen is that those priorities and preferences work really well in specific situations and in a few situations don't work as well. And it generally has to do with creating a magnitude of pressure that is less effective for the terrain snow um, technique that you're trying to apply. Now, and there's something about the word touch with skiing that it just sounds a little more esoteric. Would you agree? I would agree. I think that touch is one of those things that differentiates excellent skiers from good skiers. And it has to do with um, meeting the mountain and the snow conditions and the ski that you're on um, on the day that you're skiing them with a technique or a, with a blend of fundamentals that will match the snow so that, you know, you see uh, someone who's a really good skier apply very accurate technique to snow. And sometimes if the snow's too soft, their outside ski will auger in and they'll get a ton of pressure loaded up and it'll kind of shoot out. Um, or you get another great skier who will be skiing on a groomer and um, rotating their legs really effectively and the ski is not really gripping the snow or creating um, enough pressure on the snow to really make a round turn shape. And so touch is the idea that uh, you're looking at a run and making a choice to ski the run that's in front of you instead of picking a technique and applying that technique everywhere, or a tactic, I should say a tactic instead of a technique. Now, Anne, I would really like to get into this in detail because, one, how can we improve our touch as skiers? But, two, how do we teach this effectively? Um, so in terms of thinking about my own touch as a skier or our own touch as a skier, I think the first question is, what are my go-to movement patterns? What are the choices that I typically make? What do I value? Um, and then thinking about, okay, is that a high-pressure set of values? For example, um, I've skied with groups of people where they're fully committed to being driven into the cuff of their boot, um, which is a great place to be, and it concentrates pressure on the tip of the ski. And so that's a movement that will create that will benefit us in a high-pressure situation and might have some drawbacks in a situation where we want to ski with less pressure or manage pressure. Um so thinking about what movement patterns do I value? Um, do they tend to be high or low pressure um, movements? For example, in Jackson, we teach steep camps all the time. And um, we wind up teaching people how to rotate their feet, how to skid through a turn, how to drift, and how to maintain down downhill movement. Um, so that they're, and that's a low pressure combination, so that they're not adding pressure to a situation where you're already in really steep terrain. And the, gravity all by itself is going to add pressure. And so if you've got a high edge angle coming into gravity, if you're coming into a, a, a steep slope, it can tend to add lots of pressure to the ski and kind of um, this might be a familiar feeling to lots of folks. I know it is for me where I get a lot of pressure in the ski and a steep terrain and it'll sort of juice me across the slope and I'll go rocket launching if it's bumped, you know, five bumps later. Um, and so thinking about if I give someone those tactics at Jackson, they're useful in a situation in which I want to manage pressure or reduce the pressure I'm adding to the combination. But if I give that same person those tactics in the Northeast on a, you know, really firm day on the groomer, they're going to be doing involuntary pivot slips down the mountain without having any speed control because you actually need to create pressure in that situation to have your speed control. So 
from a personal standpoint, it can be um, reflecting on the choices I typically make, reflecting on um, the terrain I want to ski, thinking about whether to high or low pressure situations, and then thinking about how I could blend the mix of tactics or the mix of the fundamentals differently to add or, or subtract pressure. And when I'm coaching people, I'll tend to, if I'm coaching them on edging movements, for example, I'll tend to try to coach them in a mix of places where they're, say, on the groomer for part of the day and if their skill level is high enough, um, on a place where we're in a little bit of off-piece snow. And so they can feel that they might want a higher edge angle on the groomer to get more control and to have um, more pressure on the snow, whereas in the off-piece, they might want a lower edge angle so they have more um, opportunity to rotate their legs and so that they're actually dissipating pressure as they ski. So this sounds great. It sounds like you're really challenging us to expand our knowledge to really fit our teaching to the conditions. Yeah. To be able to take, um, to take our movement choices and recognize the actual outcome they're creating on the snow and decide whether it's appropriate to the conditions that day or whether it's appropriate to our typical conditions and whether we want to tweak it. Now, question for you, how does our emotional state or psychological state affect our ability with this fifth fundamental? Because uh, I'm just wondering, you, you might be a very accomplished skier in certain conditions, but you get, um, I don't know, deep powder, steep, so trees, whatever it is, where fear might take hold and all of a sudden your touch would go away. Does that make sense? Um, it does. And uh, you're reminding me of an article that a friend of mine wrote probably 10 years ago. Um, his name's Steve Thomas, and it was for 32 Degrees, and it was about the physical manifestations of fear in skiing. And we can all picture a scared skier, right? So they're going to do some classic movements. They're going to probably tip back and inside. Um, and those two movements do a couple of things. Tipping farther inside is going to create a higher edge angle. And tipping to the tail of the ski is going to increase the pressure or uh, concentrate the pressure to a smaller area on the tail of the ski. And so those things are going to create a really high pressure situation on the tail of the ski and a high edge, right? And what that's going to do is it's going to cause the ski, because of that pressure right there, to track along the length of the ski in the direction it wants to go and most likely accelerate. So if I take someone who's scared... I can anticipate that their movements are going to add pressure to the mix, which means that I might coach them deliberately to uh, shift their balance to the outside ski or to have a more skidded, rotated turn so that they're dissipating pressure in other ways to manage the pressure that they might create when they're scared. Um, or another way to come at it is to anticipate that someone who's fearful will perform much less well um, in uh, terrain where that if you up the if you up the fear factor too much, you can also anticipate that you're going to lose performance. And in conclusion, what are some takeaways you'd really like for us to to gain from this? Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me as I thought about this is that each of the other four fundamentals has a range to it, and at one end of the spectrum or the other, they will either increase or decrease pressure on the ski. Um, for example, um, 
controlling the relationship of the center of mass to the base of support to direct pressure along the length of the ski. The more I move my center of mass towards the tip of the ski, the more I concentrate pressure there. The more centered I am, the more I maintain or I spread pressure over evenly over the ski. And the more I move to the tail, the more I'm going to concentrate pressure on the tail. So the more I move fore and aft, the more I'll concentrate pressure at the end. And the more I'm centered, the more I'll spread out pressure. And so that fundamental, how I choose to apply it will have an impact on how much pressure I'm creating on the snow. And when I make choices relative to any of the other fundamentals, it will either serve to increase or decrease pressure. And that that will either work with the snow that I have on that day and the conditions I want to ski, or um, it will be a mix like trying to carve, arc to carve turns down bottomless powder and sinking to the bottom. And as wrap up, where do you really begin to teach this? At what level? Is this from day one or is it more geared toward uh, more advanced gears? That is a great question. Um, I think it depends on the person that I'm skiing and their goals, really. If, uh, like, for example, I have the opportunity to ski with a lot of people who care about understanding the application of skiing and how, you know, how movements work and how they impact the ski. And so we're working on it often at kind of an intermediate level. Or if I have a skier who wants to be able to ski the whole mountain, I would talk about it more frequently. If I had someone who were really committed to skiing on groomers and that's all they wanted to ski, I might spend less time thinking about application to other places on the mountain. But um, when I uh, was working at Portillo and I'd get to ski with a group of kids for the entire week, you know, we would start playing with the things we'd worked on in the, in the little bits of ungroomed on the side of the trail. And we wouldn't necessarily talk about it, but we'd play with trying to do the same things that they'd learned how to do on flat terrain in the, in the off piece so that they had that versatility and really the ability to handle challenges that came at them. And I love this because we've really kind of come full circle. It sounds like you're really applying those people skills to teaching the fifth fundamental. <laughs> um, I, I guess I am. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> well, again, I am so excited to hear what you all are going to be presenting at Interski. And I really can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us about this topic tonight. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. Thanks for the wonderful question. And Shorling of the national team joining us on First Chair from the PSIA ASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.